Well, what's up? What's up? How's everybody doing? You are listening to Colored Commentary, colorful conversations by colorful people about Christianity, race, and culture. And we are powered by Threaded, which is an organization committed to inspiring relationships, reconciliation, and collaborative action amongst the diverse body of Christ. I am your host, Marcus Lowe, and I'm here as always with my co-host and best friend, Antoine Malone. What's up, Antoine? What's up, y'all? How y'all doing today? Yeah, here he is. I like it. Hey, Antoine, we are in the midst of... Uh, a podcast that is potentially, you know, it's a very provocative, controversial subject that we've got here, kind of the hook for this. And this is one about white privilege, fact or fiction, right? White privilege. White privilege. We are diving Bomb in. Drop. If you That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on with this, right? It's going to be uh, a fun one. But what, uh, we are not doing this alone, right? Like, we recognize that as brothers here, people of color, if you will, that to have this conversation, we yeah. need to bring in people Brother, who are... Brothers with an A. Yeah, brothers make sure. with, with an A. <laughs> Make sure the people know that just know that they, as brothers, right? Because I can get pretty articulate, yeah, if yeah, you, you will, and I don't want people to get you know. We talked about that, yeah. We, before, <laughs> the consonants, yeah, yes, right, right. Kill the consonants. Kill the consonants. So to move into the conversation, <laughs> we need to bring in. I think it's only right that we bring in some some of our uh, brothers and sisters who are. It's not colorless, right? It's just it's just a different yeah, type of thing. You know what I mean? thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of our white brothers and sisters, you know, yeah, definitely yeah. one that we love and adore, uh, Amanda Giordano. Actually, Doctor Amanda the Giordano, the doctor, Doctor G. Doctor yes. G is, she in, is the in the house. She Tell is, us up, Doctor. That's right. She is a friend of Threaded. She was part of some stuff that we did, uh, and has been continually a part of what we're doing. And uh, we love her and hate her because she moved away from us. Ended up in the great state of is Georgia. That, we might have pushed her. She might is have Texas, run from us. We're, oh, we're less, are you saying Texas? I thought you were talking about well, us personally. Us too, but Texas is a less great place now because we pushed Amanda out. That is that is true. Well, that happened? is true. But Georgia needed her. That's I mean, true. they had a lot of things they needed to do, and That's so Amanda right. really so, needed So as in the church world, we, we sent her. We sent her. We sent her to Georgia to do the work. Yes, and we sent her to a school that needed Jesus, right? The university of Georgia, Let right? The people say amen. 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 <laughs> yes. So Amanda is has her doctorate in as uh, in counselor education. Uh, Amanda, uh, now we're obviously walk, talking in white privilege. Why? Uh, why are you? Why are you in this conversation? Help uh, our listeners understand kind of your expertise and your practice in this and work in this. Yeah. So for the last seven eight years, I've been um, teaching diversity courses in counseling programs, both in Texas and now here at Georgia, and. Um, just teach our diversity course, diversity, or counseling um, diverse clients, mm. and then social justice courses um, here in Georgia. So one of the things I feel like is my specialty area or emphasis in that huge umbrella term of diversity considerations yeah. is talking to my students about white privilege. Um, so I've done some writing on the topic and done some research on the topic, and um, it's something that I present about quite frequently. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that's how we met. In fact, I think when yeah. our first we were doing a, a panel discussion and yeah. uh, and sat down on the panel, and there's this 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 wonderful uh, Italian uh, lady <laughs> on the on the two. We're like Giordano. Good gracious, that you Yo. can't get more Italian Yo. than that. And every panel that I've been on, yeah. with Amanda, yeah, the that's... people who I talk to afterwards, she makes an indelible impression. Yeah, like, they every time they completely like, don't know who we are at Amanda. the end. <laughs> like, like, like it's for real. Yeah. Like, and so if we ever get a chance to like show some of that stuff, like that's gonna be some good. If you go back, maybe pull some of that video. Yeah, yeah we've got some. Y'all you know, are being you go to... really sweet because we're on the podcast, but really, you would rag <laughs> on me because I'm not as astute as they are, so I have to bring a little notebook with oh, me. Oh, the notebook. No, but it, that's but true. It, that, that's just part of the stick, <laughs> though. Like, that's like showing up with glasses. That's like showing up with glasses, but you, you know, it's not that you, <laughs> not that you can't see. It's just that you gotta get the look right. She yeah. just walks in with that book just to just add to, to the add feel. To. You're like, well, like you she, know, she's got a doctorate. You know, I mean, like she came ready. It's, right, it's, it's yeah. intangible. <laughs> it shows you have done the research. Is. We get up there yeah. and they're like, y'all didn't even do research. Y'all didn't bring any notes or nothing. Notes, like, yeah. Well, y'all guessing? Yeah, that's, she's like, that's why we decided to get in a format of a podcast so we can have our notes in front of us, but nobody knows. That's right. Notes right now. Oh, I know you do. I know you do. That's not even. That's not even a question. I just hope that you have moved to a digital note instead of this written paper. No, you didn't, did you? 
I didn't. No, <laughs> you still got it written down. You are too young. I need my little and, journal. I'm old school, y'all. Uh, you are I'm too young. School. She is the the hey, oldest hey. young person I know. She's got <laughs> she's writing down stuff. She got some artifacts though. Artifacts, you know. So like when when, when this thing is said and done, the legacy won't be. Yeah, yeah. She's in, gonna be able to write. Minds of people. That's right. She's like no, we have this journal. <laughs> we gonna put it in the museum. <laughs> yes. Nice. Well, we're in this conversation talking about white privilege, fact or fiction, and you know, yeah. just for listeners, we're gonna. We're going to start in kind of dealing with, I think, common objections. I think that'll really help us get everybody into the into, on the table and, and talking about it. Uh, really wanting to move in then from there, uh, you know, kind of get some good definitions around it so we know what we're talking about. Uh, and yeah. then we'll just let the conversation kind of go from there and, and we'll see what happens with that. But um, and, and definitely trying to deal with some of those common objections. And so, um, I, you know, Amanda, I want to start out. Right. You do this. You're teaching this course. You're you're getting young minds uh, that are coming into your courses. Mm -hmm. Tell us, as you start to unpack the concept of white privilege, what are some of the common objections that you're constantly dealing with? Yeah. So along with the class, I'm going to draw some examples from um, when I do community presentations, because my presentations are largely for white audiences. Mm -hmm really have never heard of white privilege before. I think my students, they've their master's level and doc levels, they've heard of it um, and they still have some objections. But um, when I'm just talking to the general public, I think the term privilege uh, is so emotionally charged yeah. right now. And yeah. so if we don't address the emotions that come with it, I think it um, like it's really hard to access your cognitive plane when your emotions are very aroused or you're feeling some sort of dysregulation. So you have to address the emotional side first uh. before you can get into the cognitive. What does this mean? What do we do about it? So the most common objections that I hear is, one, you're making a evaluation about my morality mm. and you don't even know me. Mm. So that's kind of the first thing. They hear white privilege and they immediately think, so you're saying I'm a bad person. You're saying I'm a bad white person and mm -hmm. you don't even know me. You don't know my story. Who are you to make that kind of an evaluation? So I think that's the most common one is it's that word has become linked to an evaluation of a person's goodness or badness. And um, so that's something I try to address first. And then the one that's right behind it is, so you're saying that my life was easy, that I've never yeah. had any hardships because that term privilege sounds like, Everything just came to you on this, you know, silver platter. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to work hard. Your parents didn't work hard. And so that brings up a lot of emotions about people's family history and how tough it was for their grandparents or their, you know, ancestry. And so I think that we have to address those two objections first. This idea of you're saying I'm a bad person or you're saying I didn't work hard before we can even get into a rich discussion about white privilege. Yeah, yeah, that makes uh, a lot of sense. I, I, I don't know if I've... Um, I, I, I see it in the sense I, that it is a, a feel, a commentary on morality. I, I don't know if I, I saw that. I, I don't get those sort of common objections when I'm messing with it. But that's I think that you're, like you're saying, it's this underlying emotion that's going on with it. Yeah, I mean, I think we I wrote like I think we have uh, like people walk away from a conversation feeling like, OK, I'm the villain. in some Yeah, way. right. Because yes. they because the conversation is generally presented in a has the feel of a, you know, good and bad. Group. Yeah kind of concept in the, in the, yeah. in, in the, on, on the backdrop of history. Yeah. Definitely negative connotations yeah. associated with that. Yeah, and so you say, okay, that. I was the privileged, quote-unquote, group, right. which, makes, which puts me on the villainy side, yeah. which which does connect to the morality the yes. morality piece. So you're saying yeah. I'm a bad person, I'm innately bad, or yeah. I, am, I have no choice but to be, or society has put yeah. me in a position. And so I'm on the wrong side of society, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I don't want to accept the concept of that. Yeah. yeah. And then as you even go deeper at it, as you go into then this idea, the second, you know, objection that you kind of threw out, this idea of, hey, I've I've worked hard for this. Like you're you're saying that in some ways my my ability or where I am has come without my own effort in some ways. Yeah. Um yeah. and it kind of speaks into, if you if you will, uh, the myth of American meritocracy, yeah. right? Like we are, a, we are a meritocracy. Like we, if you, if you work hard and you do hard or, or go hard and you do the right things, then the good things will come to you, right? And so that's yeah. the expectation. Right. At least that's what's um, on the brochure. Yeah, yeah. And, and I imagine too, um, and it kind of, as I'm thinking through it, it kind of even goes into this, we have this American sort of individuality, right? A real staunch sort of sense of individualism. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you're talking white privilege, it's almost this this double whammy in that just that phrase. You've got the privilege piece, which kind of hits into, hey, I worked hard or didn't work hard for this. But then even 
somebody associating themselves as white, right? Yeah. Which I, I in, in my experience, and maybe it's the same with your students, a lot of times when you even try to get a person who's white to to connect themselves to a white group, that's a difficult process too, right? Yeah, because it's likely something that they've never done before. And so I think that that's, um, you're right, that white people don't see themselves as a a member of a collective white group, you're mm-hmm. like, I'm just me. I'm just Amanda. I don't, I don't consider myself as even having a culture or um, <laughs> identifying with a particular cultural group. And again, that's once you understand kind of the white identity development model and the stages that white people tend to go through, which we can talk about later if you want. Um, it makes sense that they've never been categorized in that way. They, that's not part of their identity. So to kind of throw that at them of saying you're part of this white group, that takes a little bit of time to wrestle with and say, I've never thought of myself in that way of having a culture that's defined by whiteness and what that means. So I think there's a lot of um, unknown. And one of the ways we can have these conversations, I think, in a really fruitful way is to also understand um, where our audience is Mm -hmm. and not to expect for them to be anywhere different than where they are, meet them there, and then take them just one step at a time um, down this road to have this conversation. And yeah, so you're right. That idea of being white and being part of a white cultural group is something that needs to be explored. Yeah. And and I love that you, you talked about, you know, it's so hard, right? Like, and I, I struggle with this because, you know, I'm asked to speak on this, you know, quite a bit and, and and it's always tough because you know you feel like you're down the road and you got to kind of almost come back to the beginning right, right. Yeah. um and and kind of and, and come with that sense of of grace and mercy and recognizing okay like there are people who are still d- deciding whether they're a part of a white group like that they're a part yeah. of a group membership so yes. you you mentioned as you were talking a second ago which i think is is really good to to kind of articulate just in this moment here um this cultural identity um, sort of work that needs to be done, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, there's lots of great resources out there. I love Beverly uh, Daniel Tatum's book, Why Are All the Black Kids, you know, Sitting Together in the Cafeteria. She talks a lot about that. I think you can think about Robin DiAngelo and just some of those things. Like, So, I don't know, help us understand, like, what do you mean when you say, like, I think you said it, like, cultural identity work. What do you mean there? Why yeah, so there's actually been some great um, models that have been presented about how the white identity develops over time. Mm. And the first stage of it, and so this is outlined in um, Sue and Sue's textbook, that's what I use in my class. And um, the first stage is called the contact stage where people are just oblivious to privilege, to racism. They don't consider themselves white. Mm -hmm. And people can stay in that stage for the majority of their lives. Mm. It really, um, that stage is kind of, moved out of when there's some sort of awakening or realization that being white matters in this country. And you're, when you were talking about different myths, like the myth of the level playing field Mm -hmm. or the myth of, you know, the American dream, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps that everyone, you know, has equal opportunity. If you are indoctrinated with those beliefs, then there's really not a lot of opportunity or necessarily reason to think of yourself as part of the white cultural group. Mm Because you think, I'm working hard, I'm an individual, I'm doing my own thing and I'm getting what's due to me based on my effort. And then we move out of that contact stage into what's called the um, disintegration stage when something shatters the ignorance, when people are aware that privilege and oppression exists either because they witnessed racism themselves um, or they witnessed an advantage they got for being white, something kind of brought that into their awareness. And that happens at different points of the lifespan for different people. And that's why I try to keep in mind when I'm having these conversations is that if I'm talking to a group where half are still in that first contact stage and they're still not thinking themselves as white, half have moved into disintegration where they're starting to think, you know, I'm watching the news, I'm reading things, I'm hearing these terms, I'm starting to think something's going on. You have to start there. You can't start assuming that people are at the end of this progression or else you're just going to lose people and there's not going to be any movement at all. I wow. think so. I mean, I'm hearing you talk about all that, and I think I'm, I'm just trying to think through like people who, the person who's listening, who's not fully in on on all of it, and like, right. yeah, but what? And I, it sounds like like I'm speaking from a sociological standpoint, right? Like, yeah. would you would you say that 
the concept of privilege is an, in, is an inevitability in any social context. In other words, uh, uh, w- could, we, could we say in, in an attempt to neutralize, in a sense, the, 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 the idea that privilege is something that someone brings to the conversation that, that, um, that wouldn't need to have it, like, could it be said that any social context has within it a privileged, if you will, actor or actors yeah. in that social context in, yeah. from, from as small as a group of friends of five to as big yeah. as a nation uh, in America. Yeah. Yeah. Great point, Antoine. And th- so when I do these presentations, I'm pretty strategic in how I set it up. And I typically start by talking about male privilege. Mm. So I start with that first to kind of just introduce the topic of privilege and how all social groups are going to privilege some or value some members at the expense of others. And that's, I mean, you can even just like look through the Bible and see examples of that. That's not anything new. Um, And it's different for different cultures. So I remember doing a presentation last year and I had a gentleman from India come up to me afterwards and said that, white privilege and the racial privilege that I talked a lot about was not as um, uh, prominent in his experience in India as class privilege mm-hmm. was, religious privilege. Right. That those were the, so it varies by culture. It varies by um, time period, but you're exactly right. There's always going to be that kind of valued group, the group that has the power and the group that has the influence. So I typically start with male privilege and just give some examples, like they tend to get better deals on cars and they <laughs> control conversations more. And and then you can get into statistics about um, violence and how violence is disproportionately higher amongst women than it is amongst men. So there's these examples of male privilege in culture that are really hard to argue with. Um, and then I move into class privilege and then talk about white privilege. So you're right. It is just another form of privilege in our culture. It doesn't have to be the one that's um, maybe more or like worse than right. all the others. And that can kind of distill some of those emotions around it, I think. Yeah, yeah I mean, because I was like, it, I love that because I was even thinking even closer, like, you know, like even closer to home. Like, you know, like if someone's someone's living in my home, if I have like, I live in my house and but and I have seven guests, people living in my house, mm-hmm. the people, the people in my family are going to have more if you will, they're going to be the privileged people living in my home, even though everybody's living there, everybody's experiencing some of the same things. It's just a natural thing that um, I shouldn't say living, maybe a guest in my home. Sure. Right? They're, they're there. Like my kids can go in the refrigerator and get what they need, but they don't need to ask about Right. That. They have your last name. They're they part of your group. Right. right. And so it's just an, it, it's kind of a, just a natural thing. And so I think it, it might be helpful to help people, even away from the larger social uh-huh. pictures, to be able to bring it all the way down to just think about how you deal with the friendship groups. Like when you sit in a cafeteria, there are people who matter more to you than others based on something. And and there's people in your in your life. And so, like, I think individual, I think the privileged conversation is a social dynamic that's inevitable. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, to, and, to, and to understand that would hopefully take the sting out of more, oh, man, I'm, I'm the villain here. I'm the, I'm, you know, things are easy. It's just yeah. an identification of what role I play in this particular social structure. Well, sure. And then continuing to understand that you're, that, Again, in your house, you've got this group that has membership in the group for, you know, whether they wanted it or not, mm-hmm. they're going to get it, right? And that I imagine that kind of speaks into, uh, as, I, as I think about even unpacking and understanding white privilege, to be able to define it well, I know there's some thinking academically. Does that, is that, is that, does that jive with sort of the, the academic understanding of uh, white privilege at yeah. all? The only thing I would add to Antoine's example is it is that preference that he's talking about, but then you add power to it. Okay. So it's that they're preferred, but then they also have some sort of power um, that others don't have. And that gets into the conversation of does reverse racism exist and things like that, that privilege is um, being valued, but then also having um, the benefits and the advantage of power and influence to make larger systemic um, decisions. Yeah, it's, so. we, I mean, we live, in, we live in a democracy, right? So it is a majority rules environment. So if you're sitting around the table with people and you've got the majority of people are one type of group and you say everybody raise their hand for what they want, 
mm-hmm. the majority group is going to get that, you know, nine times out of 10, 10 out of 10, depending on what it is. Mm. And so if you've got a certain group that is in the power areas, if they control all the power, they're raising their hand for the things not only that they want, but also the people they represent, which will probably be the group that they are associated to as well. Yeah. Right. And it's just a natural form of just how life works, right? right. And so right. I think one of the things to try to understand too, um, and this is why I want to get even into because the defining it and then thinking through, thinking through a, an academic definition of, of, of white privilege and then thinking very anecdotally about it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, think we, I think we'll find that not only does it create um, advantages for uh, one group, but it also can, can potentially create disadvantages and disparities in others, right? So, so, so give us, just as an, as, as an academic, give us an academic definition that you would use as someone who says, okay, d- define white privilege for us, and, yep. and then maybe we can kind of talk after that, maybe some anecdotal ways to, to understand it. So help us with that. Yeah, so Marcus, you're completely right. You can't have privilege without oppression. And so they are two sides of the, the same coin. So mm-hmm. I find that a lot of people are on board with oppression. We all can understand oppression yeah. is bad. We've seen people being oppressed. But that means if there are some groups that are oppressed or devalued, there has to be that group that's valued in mm-hmm. comparison. So privilege always exists where oppression exists. And so that's where uh, you have a little bit less uh, agreement on, so okay, so, but yeah. tell me what privilege actually means. So right. I like and that's the part, about- I'm sorry, that's the part where people, that's the villainy, that's the moral part. Yeah. They're like, oh, wait a minute, you're, since I'm not the oppressed, uh-huh. you're saying that there's oppressed and oppressor. Yeah. And yeah. you're saying that I'm a part of the oppressor group, and that and that hurts for me to think that I'm a part of that because my life doesn't look like that, that's the person might yes. say. Yeah. Yes. And I do feel like I know I have an advantage having these conversations because of the body that I'm in, because people see me talking about these terms and say, okay, but she's white. So somehow she's made sense of all of this and Mm. kind of reconciled this. How is she doing that? Because she doesn't seem particularly self-loathing. And so Mm. I think people are a little bit open to at least hearing me explain it because I am white and I am not there to say all white people are bad, which is what I think people fear that they'll hear. Um, And so I usually start off by saying that, you know, I know that I was made in this body and to look this way. And so I don't have... um, guilt around that, but I, I do have a lot of awareness of the advantages that come from being in this body and being white. And so when I talk about privilege, um, I first explain what it's not. So I um, have a whole slide about it's not about your evaluation or my evaluation of your goodness or badness. It's not about did you have a tough life or not? Was everything easy? Did your parents work hard? It's not any of those things. Instead, it's systemic. So Mm. we're moving away from the individual and instead we're looking at the group that they're a part of and how society treats that particular group. So it's the systemic valuing of particular groups over others. Mm. That's what privilege is. Um, When society values you, if you're part of the group that society values, it comes with unearned assets and advantages uh, just for being a part of that group. So again, you didn't have a choice in this. If you're a white person, you didn't say, I want all of this white privilege. You are born into a group that the American society values and so bestows upon you all sorts of unearned advantages and unearned opportunities that not all other groups get. And so when I, I always have the conversation in group language and systemic language, because I think that is where we all need to be in order to make change and to really understand what white privilege is. It's not so much about the individual person who has a hatred towards members of particular groups, which that exists and that's something we can address as well. But when I'm talking about white privilege, I'm talking about the advantages you get from being a part of the white group in our society. Wow. Um, and I, I love, again, that that sense of unearned aspect. I think that mm-hmm. that's a huge piece. What would right? be another way to say unearned? Well, I, I, I was just thinking about it in like, you can't do anything about it. So if, if Amanda and I are walking down the street mm-hmm. and, and someone says, hey, name the white person. 
they're going to point to Amanda, no matter what her, whether she's from Italy, whether she's from, uh, you know, France or, you know, Scandinavia, like this, the color of her skin associates her with this construct, right? Because race is just a construct, a social construct. And yeah. the social construct really goes in these very extremes of white and black, right? And then there's all the stuff in between, but everything is based off of or, or bounced off of whiteness, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so when they see Amanda, they go white, and all the things that this country has sort of systemically or systematically put in place to sort of protect those who are white, she automatically gets that without even thinking about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to geek out here, right? But if you're thinking about video games, like I think about video games and so you've got- Geek out, bro. You know what I mean? You've got, you get into video game and say you got an, an, an uh, uh, I don't know, an, uh, an archer, right? When that, when that archer starts that video game, They've got sort of passive abilities that are just given to them as they start the video game. And you've got other characters that got other passive abilities that Archer can't get rid of. If you're playing that character, you can't get rid of those passive abilities. They're already there and you can't do anything with them. You just got to utilize them the way that they're given to you. So that's where I would think about sort of that unearned piece is that you don't get to you don't get to control it, even though you've got people who would say, I identify as white. And they'll be looking at you like, uh, nah. Or the lady who was up in what, Seattle with the yeah, NAACP. Yeah, she said, she, said like, she identified as, she was black. Identified like, as black. And she uh, had to color her, she had to color her skin darker. Try to have a fro. Like, to, you know what I mean? To let people know that she was, to because once you get your skin a little bit darker, people automatically associate you with the other, right? And you can go historically and you can see where yeah. even in our body politic, yeah, yeah. some of that is already dropped yeah. in with some of the policies we did, right? It's yeah, like, even Hey. Some of the white people had to almost assimilate into whiteness in, in the history of America, like the, the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's man, I'd love but to. That's a whole a, other yeah, conversation, another right? Like the, the white privilege yeah. that was uh, the creation, the, the of American whiteness. white privilege versus the European white privilege. Uh, white, yes. like, anyway, there's a whole thing in that. Yeah, and, and so help us, like, okay, so you know, we're talking about it obviously in very academic terms, right? So help mm-hmm. us sort of anecdotally um, thinking through. Okay, so what does this look like maybe every day? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so if I can just add to, I think that example you gave with the gaming example is a great analogy to think about. And if I can add to that, I would yeah. also say that um, earlier when you were talking about how the people who are making decisions in corporations or in society, if they all tend to be members of the privileged group, so or the majority are members of the privileged group, then they're making decisions based on white cultural norms. So a lot of um, how I'm going through life is I'm being uh, faced with norms that I'm really familiar with because they're they're based around Eurocentric or white norms. So how I navigate day to day feels very familiar and comfortable to me because I'm a member of the group whose norms are being used as the standard for most systems in our society. So that's another just unearned benefit is that things usually are created with me in mind. And yeah. so I have um, just that, that advantage mm. of my norms reflected around me all the time. Um, the other piece I would say is when people identify me as white, you're exactly right. We have these very arbitrary correlations yeah. that have been made between whiteness and intelligence mm. and whiteness and morality and whiteness and capabilities and things that make no sense that that would correlate with skin pigmentation. But that's evolved over time. And now we have these kind of implicit understandings that if you look a certain way, I'm also going to make assumptions about yeah. um, your um trustworthiness and your intelligence and whether or not I feel safe next to you. So there's a lot of things that come um, at almost the um, not completely unconscious level, but a little below conscious awareness that benefit me because of what I look like. I'm not found suspicious. I'm not seen as a threat where others who are not a member of the white cultural group don't get those same advantages. Right. So um, you have to so, earn your untrustworthiness yes. while others might have to earn, <laughs> earn their trustworthiness. trustworthiness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so one of the things I do in my classes is, you know, we break down some of those correlations um, to just see how ridiculous they are that we have correlated uh, skin color and this construct of race with intelligence, um, with whether or not a person can be trusted or whether or not a person is going to engage in criminal behavior, mm-hmm. that we're somehow linking that with race. And so one of the questions I always ask my white audiences is, what associations have you made with race 
that really have no logical or rational foundation. And so once people start to kind of explore that, then um, they're usually pretty surprised at the assumptions that they make based on a person's race that have a lot to do with um, personal and moral characteristics. Wow. It's also really interesting to know that it's like, like the, the white privilege piece of it, like you're talking about how we assess the situation and where race mm-hmm. plays into that. And it's just like it's like fascinating to think that it's just one of so many different things. Like we talked, you talk about male privilege, you talk about, yeah. you know, uh, pretty privilege, I would even say, you know, that like yeah. someone who's attractive. It's always surprising when you look in the news and you're like, oh, this supermodel was a kingpin. And for some reason, the two things don't seem to connect, mm. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's like uh, at any given moment, all these various levels of, privilege, if you will, are factoring into um, our, our assessment of a situation or a person. White yeah. privilege or racial privilege, if you will, is just one of many of those things. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's important to be aware that that we have it. You yeah. Know? And that's yep. kind of what this conversation is about. It's not saying yeah. it's not saying that this is the only one that affects the way we deal with a situation, but it's one of many that absolutely does affect yeah. the right. interface. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'm gonna because we're starting to get into that 2.0 space, oh, oh, right? Okay. Which is which is great, and we'll come back to some of that stuff. I want to I want to take us back. Just to, again, I'm just thinking like concrete example. Yeah, well, if I'm hearing this, you know what I mean. Like, there's all these things. These are these are high level things that you guys are talking about. But I, I also want to be like, it's almost this piece of where I feel like there's this aspect of where we've got to almost prove that this isn't something that is a historical thing that happened in the past, but it's something that's continually going on. And again, that idea of how systemic is it and how is it kind of laced into our society? So I don't, so yeah. So if you guys, I know that, you know, obviously Peggy McIntosh is a a great person who kind of unpacks some of that stuff. And that's exactly who I was going to reference that Peggy McIntosh created a list of just common everyday occurrences of white privilege to help people understand what we're talking about when we use this term. So things like um, whites can choose to be around others who look like them the majority of the time. That if I wanted to always be in spaces where everyone looked like me, I can do that. And that is not a privilege that's afforded to members of um, cultural groups that are not white. Um, Whites can generally assume that their neighbors will be neutral or positive toward them when they move into a new neighborhood. So I have never thought that people would respond negative to me negatively to me when I move into a new space. But again, that is a privilege that comes with being white that not all um, racial and ethnic groups have. Um, whites can go shopping without being followed by store employees the majority of the time. Um, uh, this is the one that I spend a lot of time on in class that if a white person commits a crime, it doesn't reflect poorly on all whites. Mm. And that is something that I get a lot of reaction from people of color of saying, if someone, if there's a national tragedy and it's on the news, uh, they are just hoping and praying that the perpetrator um, yeah. Did not reflect their racial group because if it did, they <laughs> oh would... Lord, please don't let it be a black man. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Just, I, look, we watch TV that way in my house. Like in my wife, who's white, you know, she's she does the same thing. Like we're looking, and it news comes on, and we're just like, oh Lord, please, please God, please God, please God, yeah. 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 <laughs> Because they will be treated differently at work the next day if the perpetrator looks like them, where I have never had that thought in my life. I have never thought, oh, my gosh, please don't let it be a white female who committed this crime, because then people are going to think all white females are violent or all white females are dangerous. I'm seen as an individual. I am seen as having my own um, persona, my own characteristics. That is a privilege that comes with being a member of the white group. You're seen as an individual where um, members of other groups are systemically kind of generalized as these Mm -hmm. um, with these blanket statements as like all Latinos are blank or all blacks are blank or all Arabs are blank. Mm -hmm. And that's not something I face as a white woman. Now, here's 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 where I. I, 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 you know, I love the list that Peggy McIntosh puts together in this Unpacking mm-hmm. the Invisible Knapsack. You can check it out online. Just just Google it. It's got the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I struggle uh, with some of her um, her anecdotal sort of uh, phrases, if you will, because there's there's so much of it that if I am a white person hearing it, 
And just now I'm putting myself in white people's shoes. Yeah, why don't you do that? Uh, But I live in white world. So I I find that when I'm talking to people about this, they struggle is some of the things, even some of the things that you mentioned, feel like they are assumptions that maybe black people are making as opposed to real things. Right. So if, if, you know, is it and and the the pushback that I would get if I'm talking to to folks who I'm talking to, they'll go. uh, So you're assuming that when you move into a neighbor that your neighbors aren't going to like you. Well, that's about you, right? Your neighbors may really like you, but that's really about you, Marcus. And mm. it's like— So look, you're projecting. You're projecting on it. So so what I think is helpful, too, is thinking about, like, are there any sort of uh, examples, anecdotal examples that are, are really more to the point— <laughs> Open like, and shut. Well, yeah, like a factual, right— sort well, of space. And, yeah. and I don't know. Again, and because I, say- I, I say that— I look. All the things you said is factual to me as a yeah. black person. Like, I think that. But, but again, the, the pushback that people give me is, Marcus, that is you. Yeah. That is your projection you're putting on. Yeah, purely so, academic says they're either facts or they're not. Right. But I got you saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and so that, yeah, I think, one, you have to start somewhere. So I usually sure. start small with some of these examples. But I don't think, like, the moving into neighborhoods, white flight is, I mean, we can Fair see enough. that yeah. support. And yeah, so that's not, that's I don't think that's an opinion. I think that that is a trend that we can see. The other one that I use just because this is my well, world. Hold up, just even, even in that, like, if I, again, if I'm a, a white person, like, I'm not, I'm not leaving black people. I'm just going to a neighborhood that's a newer house or. Or I'm um, protecting my, my money. Or, or the, it's the, a money thing. It's yeah, a, well, the, yeah, my the 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 housing the value is going down for some reason. Right, right. Because right. that actually ends yeah. up leading into making the case. Correct. Well, but that's the thing is you can if I am if I'm a white person I can make a case for I'm making these decisions not based on people of color but just based on something else that's outside of it. You know what I mean? Yep. Or and I'm I not encourage- I'm not moving. It's them. You know. Yeah. And then I would encourage people to step back from that individual perspective and look systemically. And I have to do that in my presentations all the time of saying, okay, so your personal choice of why you bought that house is not what's on trial here. We're looking at systemic Uh patterns, things that are showing what society values Mm -hmm. and then who gets the benefit of that. And so who gets the benefit of the best schools and who gets the benefit of the higher property values. And so I would, again, if people are slipping into that, but so you're saying I'm a bad person because I bought this house. Right. No, we're not talking about your morality. Mm-hmm. We're talking about systemic trends and patterns. Right. So that's how I would kind of stay at that level. Yeah. Um, the other one I always use as an example, because it's my background is in the addictions world mm. and how, um, and yeah. I talk about Michelle Alexander's book all the time of mass incarceration and the new Jim Crow. And um, there are undeniable statistics there that talk about how uh, we treat people who commit the same drug offenses differently based on their race. And that is something that is, you can't dispute some of those numbers um, that we know that people tend to use substances at the same level with mm-hmm. actually white adolescent males using a little bit more than some other groups, but people who are charged and convicted with drug crimes and then incarcerated are disproportionately black and brown. And so Mm -hmm. she provides all of those statistics. And so people again respond with, so what are you saying? We just shouldn't, you know, arrest people for drug charges. And I tell them that, okay, systemically, this is what's happening. And this is, I've heard these stories from my clients that you get caught with, you know, paraphernalia, you get caught with a substance and, um, but rather than ushering them into the criminal justice system and they are white people, then they are either sent home to their families to be, um, put into the rehabilitation therapeutic system, as opposed to Mm. penalized with the criminal justice system that does not happen, um, evenly across the board. And I actually have a great quote, if you will allow me to read this, um, that, I think does a really nice job of explaining this. So this is from Ethan Nadelman, who's the director of um, drug, the drug policy Alliance. So I just want you to know that I'm referencing my notebook here. (laughs) (laughs) The notebook is back. The magical notebook. Yeah. uh, He says, when you criminalize a vice, 
and you leave it to the discretion of law enforcement as to how to enforce those laws, those laws are not typically going to be enforced against the whiter and wealthier and more affluent or middle-class members of a society. Inevitably, those laws will be disproportionately enforced against the poor, the younger, and the darker members of a society. Mm-hmm. And that's really what Michelle Alexander's book is all about, is how white privilege shows up specifically on the war on drugs. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's so interesting um, because we're now uh, in our society, we have this opiate crisis. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you look back at um, the 1980s, the war on drugs, yeah. crack and all that kind of stuff, that Real. was a war against it. It became criminalized. Right. So mm-hmm. it was a, it was a crisis in America. And the, the, the response of how to deal with it was to criminalize it and put people away. Right. But yeah. when you get to the opiate crisis. What you're hearing now is it's a health crisis and we need yeah. to do something to rehabilitate, right? And so, and then, and, and, and from what I'm seeing, the opiates are used more predominantly in white areas as opposed to in black areas. And so that's just a, an example of where white privilege plays out. Uh, yeah, and again, at these the are very, minimum, at the minimum, it's suspicious. Suspicious. At the well, that's, minimum. That's like, the you piece. Know, right, right. Like if, if, if someone's in the room and they're like, yeah, but that's not white privilege. You're like, okay, if I'm willing to give yeah. you that, it's at least suspicious right you know like sure. what is what is the motive what what caused the motivation and give me an alternate motivation yeah. you know for mm-hmm. why for why that shows up there which accords with this other thing that shows up in history research and this other thing right. this other thing that all yeah. starts to build and show a trend and a pattern well and that's the thing that's what's hard is there is this suspicion but i think they're like one of the things i love again kind of getting to some of the things that i think have made some ahas to people in the very uh, front end of the conversation that are a bit more factual, and you've used these, uh, Amanda. And I'm gonna I'm gonna take some of these factual things not from um, where people of who are white are experiencing this privilege, but almost in the reverse, like where people of color are not experiencing sort of this privilege, right? Like we've talked about this idea, you know, when when flesh colored band aids don't match your flesh. Right. Yeah. And people can just you can just Google like my Lisa, my wife, uh, had, had tore her her uh, calf recently. And so we both go to the same physical therapist and we get this kinesiology tape. Right. And so she came back with flesh color kinesiology tape and it, I couldn't even see it on her. But every time I go, I'm like, hey, can I get some flesh color kinesiology <laughs> tape? And it's literally black tape. They, that's they that's you, all I got. That's they give you a tape and a brown crayon. With it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even color it because it's black. I guess I get flesh color. Then I try to that's do what I'm saying. They give you Lisa's tape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You color it in. Don't you brown yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Uh, this? But that's uh, a that's a very day. like accessible like it's just a, a privilege that I don't get right. Uh, <laughs> I, I know people who have to change their name so that it can be articulate and and be um, said easier uh, in our culture that we live in. And most of that yeah. stuff you'll hear people say, "Well, that's a weird name and that's an interesting name." It's not John and Tiffany that are getting that right. No. It's gonna it's different no. folks yeah. right. And that so, mostly that mostly shows up in the most people will. Immediately recognize that in the Asian community, absolutely. You know, with the Lees, and yeah, I, and they, yeah. you know, they're like, "Well, my name really is." Yeah, yes, exactly. But, but, but in the Indian community, yeah, call me Darian. <laughs> it's just let me make it yeah. easier for you. Make it right? easy. That's a factual yeah. thing and that just everybody. A sidebar, I just saw on Facebook that it was, um, and this was a, a black person put on their page that if white people can pronounce some of these Game of Thrones names, <laughs> and they really don't have an excuse for not knowing your name. That's it. Yeah, hey, that's that's the next, the next black person needs to name their, their kid, kid after. Can we Straight up Tyrion or whatever, whatever these names is, definitely sounds like it came these out. These are Eurocentric names though too, so I mean, they just pull so it out. Alright, so another example that I'm thinking of is, okay, um, you know, if you have a special aisle in the grocery store that you find foods and spices that you eat every day. Right. So that's a place where I'm experiencing. I got to go find this thing. It's an ethnic aisle where the ethnic foods is. Uh, And even thinking in areas of that are very, uh, you know, foundational, like history and theology. Right. Like Mm. the, the, the history and theology that that's associated with me. It's not a part of the core curriculum, but it's an elective that I have to take right. to get yep. it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, let's yeah. talk theology. And then if you want to do black theology, you got to take this extra course, right, to yeah. do that, right? And even what you're learning, who is the protagonist in the story? From what viewpoint mm-hmm. is it being told? Yeah. So even if the yeah. content is there, then what is... the 
how is the story being told from what lens and who's the protagonist and who's the antagonist. And that's something that I've learned. I did a couple of studies with um, Native Americans. Mm. And one of the things that they're saying is one, their history is not even included Ooh. in a lot of the um, lectures. People don't learn about them until they take a Native Americans course in college. But then even the history that is there yeah. is presented from a very yes. um, Eurocentric white point of view oh where gosh. the white people end up being the heroes or the protagonists of the story and natives are seen as the antagonists of the story. I forgot, right, no, I no, forgot that. Wait, I'm no, not going to go there. I'm just going to say. I'm, I'm waiting. That's point two point. I know. Wait. I'm just saying. <laughs> That I thought I forgot that Amanda yes, had yeah, I know. that that yes. history in her bag. Absolutely. We gotta get we go, we, we go get we into gotta that. have her back right. for let's, that. Let's, let's keep because going. Some of these. Yeah, we gonna finish the, we gonna finish this particular oh, podcast with we'll give, we'll get more of these anecdotes for yeah, yeah, I know. It? They just we're gonna do it and just okay. we're gonna do it. Okay. So here's here's another one that that I was thinking about. Um uh, you know, we, we and look, you're talking about history. You're talking about the way things are presented, right? And so yeah. I'm thinking about it as an African-American. When I see uh, pictures or documentaries about victims of oppression from American history, I find myself thinking, oh, my God, that would have been me. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, there's never a time and where I'm looking at it and going, uh, wow, that, that would have been a great time for me to live in. Right. And yeah. so when people start to it's, it even go, it goes into that idea of when people talk about the good old days. Right. And somebody asked me one time, like, hey, if you could go back in any time in American history, what time would you want to go? And I'm like, uh, right now. Yeah. Like, this is, right. this yeah. is the Today. best time yeah. for a person like me. And, and I always feel like the flying that are like putting the, 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 the party pooper because people want to be they want to be nostalgic and thinking about, oh, this is what a great back in American mm-hmm. history. This the going, 20s or do the you 50s, realize right? that that what I would have been experiencing there? And that's yes. always a very again. There's a there's a privilege that comes with being able to even sort of nostalgicize, if you yeah, will, yeah. Uh, history. But Marcus, if I can also like totally nerd out on you for one second, <laughs> why like... not? I did the video games. You might as well. <laughs> I, I don't even qual- that don't even qualify as nerd. Is now. it not? He's, yeah, that's he's true. Made, he's it, made a nerdy reference. That's that's fair. So if you even get into the neurobiology and some of the yes, research that's coming yes. out right now in epigenetics. Yes. So oh, she's is, going in epigenetics. All right, I know, go ahead. Just go ahead and like give us a taste. Right? Give us a taste. But I just want to say 1. all 5. you need to know from that, it's not there's there's not hard and fast data that says this is a universal truth that everyone believes in, but there is enough data to support the speculation that historical trauma and generational mm-hmm. trauma can pass down through your genes. And so again, I've looked at it with native populations, but any population that has suffered traumatically, that individual's genes could be altered in a way that's passed down to the next generations. And Mm. so that's just, even biologically, there can be privilege of not coming from a a group that's ancestry is laced with trauma. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I cannot wait. We're going to drop it. Hey, here's what I want to do to kind of, (laughs) because I want to do a, I want to do a, we're gonna we're gonna do a second a second of this a uh, part two if you will but I want to get in Raleigh are you are you on here uh, yes. we got our producer uh, Raleigh who is is also a brother who is from uh, a, from from the he's part of the the colorfulness uh, of the podcast yeah. he just doesn't yeah. match the same color we do yeah, right it's, so it's so I'm curious Raleigh if you get on the get on the mic here like <laughs> you're hearing a lot of stuff right like yes. there's a lot of things that are kind of whether it's new or old to you I, any particular way that you are are feeling about this like how do you feel how are you feeling as you're hearing some of these things <laughs> my question is if it's if a lot of what people may be turned off by is some just the way the messaging seems to hit them because it, we're really talking about tribalism right like mm-hmm. like you pointed out like i mean this could happen primitively mm-hmm. if you're talking about that these people are going to pick their tribe yep. and they're not going to pick the outsiders and just because of the way you know european conquered america and yeah. the way that we're sitting we are in control or the white people control the culture yeah so it's really cultural privilege and you feel like if you told people that there's cultural privilege they could admit that that's true mm. but putting white privilege on it seems to be some trigger it just seems to trigger yeah. them into into defensiveness the the reason would be i would say if even if you got me to you know i mean i i admit but once if i was someone you were you were convincing if yeah. i admit that there's white privilege yeah What's the next step? Yeah. How, how, I don't have control over that. Like you yeah. said, I was given those privileges, and they're mine, and I would like you to have them as well. How do I change the system? And I think a lot of people feel powerless against that and yeah. then therefore become very just defensive about the whole idea of, of, of it. Mm. So, so can I jump on some of that? Please. Uh, I'm trying to think if... 
<laughs> I try to think if I want to like tease it. You know what I mean for for a, another episode because okay. it's it's a because I, I want to. I think there's there's things that still need to be unpacked. Uh, you know, I'd love to to talk about. Okay, well, we, what, we could we could at least okay. So the, the podcast asked the question. Yeah, yeah. Fact or, or fiction. Fact or fiction. Right. So that's what this one's about. Right. Like, can we can we accept the the reality? Right. At least understanding of of white privilege as a dynamic in American culture. Right, right. And I think that's some of the things we've been unpacking this time is really looking at what is it, what is it not, right? What are some of the ways in which um, it plays itself out? Um, does it exist? Well, if you're saying, no, it doesn't, you have to at least deal with some of the, the different things that we've already talked about and articulated, whether it's academic, whether it's uh, data uh, and sort of the, the sociological data, or whether it's even just kind of, again, anecdotal, like just kind of looking at our world around us and you have to kind of uh, to examine all those things before you can make a decision on that, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so again, I, I, I don't know if we're, we're necessarily that, leaving. That, we, could, we could do that. And then Kyle say, he has some really great questions. What yeah, should I, I do I, about I, it? Yeah, I think that's you the know, important question. Yeah, right, and, right. and yeah. Um, you know, if it's a fact and, 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 and what should I do about right. it? Well, There's want, a part of me that wants to say that it's inevitable. Yeah, Privilege sure. is, in, is in inevitable. Right. That's what it feels. It feels like it's primitive, like it's built yeah. inside Correct. of us. So yeah. then what yes. do we do to shake that yeah. off yeah. Or, so that would or, go, be, or become intellectual beyond yeah. that? So yeah. that would be the next, the next conversation. All right. Because, but, but, to, but to accept the reality, to yeah. see things as they are yeah. is what this is. Which is a, a, a difficult step even for, for people yeah. at the top. Because so. you can't do anything about something you don't accept. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I can close out the podcast. Did you have something else, Amanda? We'll, we'll yeah, come back I just wanted to summarize. So if people are, you know, gotten to this point in the podcast and they're still thinking, okay, so is white privilege fact or fiction? Yeah. I would I would just end with this by asking this question. Um, who does society, does our society value? And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about privilege is the the group that society values. And I use this quote all the time, but it's from Samuel Ortiz, who's a Latino male. And he wrote, um, as a child, you understand intuitively what and whom society values. By the age of five, I knew I was living in a society where I looked and sounded different from most other people and that this was not a good thing. Hmm. And the fact that a five-year-old can somehow in that very limited, you know, cognitive development, understand that I'm different from what society values. And so that's going to be bad for me. To me, that is such a, that's like such evidence that privilege exists. And then that can bring us into all kinds of conversations about what do we do about it. But if we can all get on the same page with the fact that unearned advantages and unearned benefits come with being a member of the white group then that's a good starting place. Yeah. No, I think that's great and a great place for us to kind of, you know, close this one out and then we'll we'll, we'll put a next one on maybe, you know, white privilege. Uh, what do we do about it now? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So what next? What yeah. next? That's good. That's good. Hey, uh, it's uh, it's so glad. I'm so glad that you guys were able to listen in and and uh, you, I know, have been blessed uh, as we are all the time talking to Dr. Amanda Giordano. Yay, Thank you, yay. Amanda, for joining us on this podcast, White Privilege, Fact of Fiction. I think she's going to be a regular. She, she's going to have to be a regular on here. It's just will. some great stuff on you this, You will right? hear yeah. more from her. You're going to hear it. Yes, we're going to definitely have her on Colored Commentary, right? Because we are, right? This is Colorful Conversations from Colorful People about Christianity, Culture, and Race. And this has definitely been one of those conversations. Uh, definitely uh, powered by Threaded. Man, check us out. We are threaded.org just to find us and see what else is going out. We like to bring out panels and uh, do uh, diversity training and do uh, lots of different things like that. So check us out. Uh, I'm Marcus Lloyd. And uh, with me, as always, is Antoine Malone. Thank hey, you, guys. Antoine. Thanks yes, for hanging yes. out with us. Amanda, thank you for hanging out with us as well. Raleigh, our producer, thank you. Thank you for coming in, dropping in, Riley. putting this together. Raleigh writes. And uh, yeah, so join us next time on Colored Commentary. You have been listening to Colored Commentary, powered by Threaded, a biblical reconciliation ministry. To find out more about Threaded and Colored Commentary, go to wearethreaded.org forward slash podcast. And to continue today's conversation, follow us on Twitter at Colored Comments.